Hi, my name's Lou, and today I'm going to be reading the internet for you. Why? Well, why not? And today's what is going to be a forum by the name of the Magic Cafe TM. Magicians helping magicians open 24 hours. And as you might have guessed from the title, this is a forum for magicians to discuss the craft of magic in all of its different uh, permutations, um, the magic of card tricks, uh, flaming balls, spongy stuff, levitation, hypnotism, pickpocketing, and all other manners of magicery that they uh, that they practice. And it seems like a very actively visited website. There's lots of current posts and magicians discussing things ranging from is there any magic being performed at uh, Walt Disney World's Harry Potter's Wizarding World to other things like how to cheat at cards and things like that. So um, let's get right into the Magic Cafe. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read from what I was surprised to find was in the Magic Forum, uh, the Magic Cafe Forum Index, a subform known as the Fellowship of Christian Magicians. And within there, there's all sorts of lovely topics about preaching the gospel with magic. And so the first post we'll read is by Steve Brooks, who is the manager of this forum, and it is in a in the subform, the Fellowship of Christian Magicians, in a thread, a stickied thread entitled "Should a Christian do magic or conjuring?" Topic is locked. Should a Christian do magic or conjuring? Doesn't the Bible forbid magic, fortune telling, and ventriloquism? Is it right for a Christian to be involved in sleight of hand and an illusion? Aren't these instruments dishonest and deceptive? A problem of vocabulary. First, let's get our terms defined. When the Bible, especially certain translations, uses the term magic, e.g. Exodus 22.14, or sorcery, Deuteronomy 18.11, et al., or ventriloquism, e.g. Isaiah 8.19, it is clearly dealing with the man with man's involvement in the supernatural, often with the collaboration of evil spirits. The context of the Bible prohibitions make it clear that God does not want man to dabble in games with the devil. Today's manifestation of these forbidden activities are such things as Ouija boards, tarot cards, the occult, and horoscopes. The Christian has no business playing with these, since they open the door to demonic influence. Let it be emphasized that no true Christian magician or ventriloquist is in any way involved in the use of supernatural powers. A problem arises from the fact that certain words have two meanings. Magic has the meaning of witchcraft or sorcery, but the word also means sleight of hand and illusion, the surprising and fascinating modern entertainment medium. Obviously, the Bible is talking about the first of these meanings and not the second. Etymologically, the word ventriloquism means belly talking. As used in the Old Testament, the word refers to fortune telling by means of reading the entrails of slain animals or demon possession wherein an evil spirit spoke through a human mouthpiece. Modern ventriloquists create the illusion that their voices come from another source, using this to entertain. Spectators unable to explain the skill misname the illusion belly talking. Again, the biblical prohibition has reference to one meaning of this word, but not the animation of puppets as is done in modern our entertainment medium. The first, the first thing we must be sure of when dealing with biblical prohibitions is that we understand what the Bible is in fact saying so that we do not misapply the truth because of the confusion of vocabulary. Confusion with the supernatural. One could raise the objection that it is wrong for the Christian to do any performance that could so easily be misinterpreted as sinful by someone who doesn't know. Doesn't the Bible warn us to, quote, avoid all appearance of evil, unquote? 
I, Thessalonians 5.22, couldn't innocent parlor magic or ventriloquism be easily confused with forbidden activity? In fact, a better translation of I, Thessalonians 5.22 is avoid every form of evil or avoid every kind of evil. In dealing with the right and wrong, one must be careful of appearances, but it is not the appearance that makes something right or wrong. The emphasis on appearance is the essence of hypocrisy. If the issue were that Christians were to refrain from doing anything that looks like sin or could be misinterpreted by someone who does not know, then we would never be able to do anything with confidence. According to this thinking, Jesus was correctly rebuked for eating with publicans, for forgiving prostitutes, and for touching lepers. Certainly, these actions confused many people, but the Son of God knew his mission and performed his ministry in spite of possible objections. The gospel magician could easily be confused with a secular entertainer, or worst, with the occultist. Just as the Christian singer could be identified with the acid-dropping Satanist, or the preacher could be linked with the immoral talk show host, or we could just insist that it is wrong for the Christian to read any magazine or paperback book because immoral people publish sinful books and magazines. Do we believe that because of the sin of some broadcasters, there is no value in the ministry of broadcasting? Part of the issue is whether a godly performer should stop ministry he knows to be right, just because someone else might misjudge his motives or his methods. Some Christians are very superstitious and assume that anything they cannot themselves understand and explain must be supernatural. Hence, they see the negative effects as being produced by demons, and every positive event must be a miracle of God. There is, however, great room for neutral events which can be used for either good or evil. Ministry by means of deception? Another objection is that it is not right for the Christian to use trickery in presenting the truth, no matter how you slice it. Magic involves deceit, illusion. Of course, some gospel magicians try to get around the objection by never actually saying their hand is empty when it isn't. They say, my hand looks empty. This skirts the issue, since the intent is for the audience to believe that the hand was empty, or that the bunny materialized from thin air, or that that red scarf actually turned white, etc. The deceit was there, regardless of whether the performer told a lie with his words or with his actions. Here we must deal with the nature of truth. At any given time, a presentation of truth only represents a portion of reality. I carry a photograph of my wife that everyone claims is a very candid likeness, yet it deceives in certain ways. For one thing, my wife is not black and white and gray. For another, she is more than two inches tall and is not flat. But the image abstracted by this photograph captures her expression and personality very honestly. It was an honest, though partial, representation of the truth. The issue is whether the gospel magician conveys the impression that he is doing supernatural things or whether he honestly acknowledges the trickery. After all is said and done, most people acknowledge that magical entertainers do not actually have supernatural powers. If the total presentation is an accurate representation of biblical truth, the audience will be impressed with the message and not dazzled by the possibility of humans doing supernatural feats. A Biblical Basis for Gospel Magic It is fine to say that doing gospel magic is not wrong, but is it right? Is there a biblical justification for using magic to present scriptural or spiritual truths? The first part of the argument comes from Jesus' own use of parables, visual aids. Matthew 13.34 indicates that in Jesus' teaching, he always used object lessons. Sleight of hand and illusion provide a way of presenting some very powerful spiritual messages in a visual way. When a dirty handkerchief, representing sin, is transformed into an egg... Oh, there's a, that's a loud plane. What a plane. 
Sleight of hand and illusion provide a way of presenting some very powerful spiritual messages in a visual way. When a dirty handkerchief representing sin is transformed into an egg, it makes a very striking illustration of the change God makes in a person's life when he trusts Christ. Magic tricks have a power to gain and maintain attention. The second part of biblical basis for gospel magic is God's own use of the spectacular as an attention-getting device. He could have dealt with people without using the miraculous, but with Moses, he chose to use a bush that burned without being consumed. With Balaam, he used the talking donkey. With Joshua, he used the destructive trumpet blast to bring down the walls of Jericho. And with Belshazzar, he wrote on the wall with a giant hand. Many of the prophets use spectacular attention-getting devices, such as shaving their head, wearing a rotten garment, making a model of Jerusalem. And what a sight Jonah must have been, bleached from the digestive juices of the great sea monster, as he paraded through Nineveh, proclaiming the judgment of God. <laughs> but perhaps the most spectacular of all are the descriptions of the events surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. It could have happened without a lot of fanfare, but Christ's death was accompanied by darkness and earthquake. The resurrection was accompanied by a blast of light that left the guards stunned and dazed. I have seen some very impressive and effective use of quote-unquote magic to illustrate principles from the scripture. When sleight of hand and illusion are harnessed for the purpose of explaining gospel principles, it can be very powerful from a psychological point of view. Performance leads to pride. A serious objection is that when people are amazed and admire the performer, this leads to pride on his heart. This is certainly a possibility. And the Christian performer, no matter what art form, must guard against pride. This is true of the Christian singer, actor, magician, ventriloquist, and even preacher. Let us condemn pride in any form and in every presentation. But the possibility of pride should not deter from the exercise of a skill that can point people to God's truth and lead them to Christ. Conclusion. To wind up this brief treatment, to wind up this brief treatment, let me make several practical suggestions about your own attitude towards gospel magic. Enjoy quote-unquote magic presentations. Don't worry about being fooled. You don't need to understand how every trick is done in order for it to be all right. Pray for the Christian magician. He wants to present gospel truths in an effective way without violating what is proper. It is easy to give in to the sins of pride and presumption. He needs your understanding and support. Praise God that he has given this performer opportunities to present a message at places where a preacher would never be able to speak. Seek God's mind. Be sympathetic and ask God to help you understand what attitude is right to have towards forms of ministry that you do not wholeheartedly understand or endorse. Realize that the same skill may not be best for everyone, but God can bless it and use it for His glory. If you continue to have reservations, work them out. Talk to your local Christian magician. He will be happy to discuss them with you. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks for being open to consider some new ideas. I hope they have helped you gain a new perspective. Read Acts 10, 9 through 20, and rejoice that God opens his heart and minds to his children who are ready to receive his messages. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks and honor and glory through him to God the Father. Colossians 3.17 And this was written in 1988 by A. Robert H. Hill. Uh, and the person who wrote it, you can correspond with him at uh, a ridiculous 10-digit number email address at CompuServe.com. That shows you how old that is. And, well, that was quite uh, entertaining, although I do believe that the analogy of the, the photo being a misrepresentation of his wife is, that is quite a stretch. I bet sometimes he wishes that his wife was two inches tall and gray. Um, anyway. The next thread I'll read in the Magic Cafe Forum, Subforum The Fellowship of Christian Musicians. 
is entitled Getting Heckled by an Atheist by Zach Lambert. And it goes like this. Has anyone ever come across this? I have a two-card Monty routine with a Noah's Ark patter. M. Taylor writes, Ignore the naysayers. Praise the Lord. If you pray and ask Jesus for his help, he will guide you through any tough times. I love your Noah's Ark idea for presentation. Jesus would be proud of you for spreading the word. And Carl E. Jones writes, I have found that a humorous reply with a firm message has always worked for me. Of course, I'm also six foot tall and 390 pounds, so they may be scared that I'll sit on them if they keep it up. Zach Lambert replies, It was a renaissance fair. The guy heckling me was a real mean naysayer. Al Angelo replies, Zach, it was kind of a secular venue, but there was no reason for him to be rude. I'm glad you can take a joke. And Payne writes, At least he didn't proclaim you a heretic and have you burned at the stake. There was a lot of that going on in the Renaissance. Smiley face emoticon. Decomposed writes, I think that it is a wonderful way to proclaim the gospel at a secular venue. I always thought of gospel magic to be performed at church events. Gives me some thoughts here. I mostly perform mentalism, but need a way to serve and give back through this art. Usually I try to bring up a witness when people mention psychics. And Vlad77 writes, As Christians, Western and Eastern, I'm the latter. Eastern Orthodox Christian. We are called upon to live as Christ-like as possible. My priest and I were talking about this. Friar Paul reminded me that even in secular venues, we are still Christian. The Orthodox Church believes and has always believed that we quote-unquote put on Christ. So, while I do not do gospel magic, I do conduct myself as a Christian. As far as a heckler like that goes, remember, he is missing out, not you. Getting into an argument over the theology, and especially in a magic act, gospel or otherwise, empowers the unbeliever. Take a page from Hesychasts and say a silent prayer as you continue your act. And remember, God incarnate promised that the gates of darkness shall not prevail. Take comfort and strength in the word that Christ our true God gave us. There is no better promise. In Christ, Vlad. And Marlock writes, Heckling in a gospel presentation can be encountered for some different reasons than the typical performer because we are sharing a message we proclaim to be true and in most cases are proselytizing through our performance. Most entertainers encounter hecklers, one, because the heckler is just rude slash drunk, and two, the performer really isn't performing well and the heckler still being rude is emulating Simon Cowell. Either of these instances can happen regardless of whether you're presenting gospel magic or not. The atheist heckler has just something specific to heckle about. So let's be careful to examine our performance to make sure we don't completely dismiss our own culpability. As gospel performers, one must realize we can also be heckled because 1. We may not be presenting the gospel in our most effective manner, making it winsome and credible to others. 2. We may not have taken into account the context of our message, i.e. where we are presenting it, who is listening, and what we need to do to make the message fit. Some people may feel that they were the victim of a bait and switch. Come see a magic show and now you're trapped here listening to a message. 4. Some people are simply hostile to the gospel. <laughs> hostile? That's my new band. Um, hostile to the gospel. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I don't think we serve God or ourselves all that well if you we jump too quickly to the conclusion we are all being attacked for the sake of the gospel. I have always learned something from an audience or individual that turned on me about how to better captivate and communicate with those listening. I've only been heckled by someone who thought what I was saying was untrue once. At that time, I told the person I was sorry if I wasn't able to address their concern adequately, but that I would be more than happy to take the time to explore the concern more 
more fully after my program was over because it was important to me that they could get answers to their questions. The person did meet me with the following, and we had a lively and civil discussion about the claims of Christianity. If you share the gospel in a public setting, you will have those that push back on what you are claiming. Be sure you are prepared to be able to give a reason for the hope you have in Christ. Blessings, Mark. And Daffy Doug and Daffy Doug and Daffy Doug writes Atheists are by far the hardest to deal with. I know because I have had some dealings with them recently. Your best weapon is prayer. Be prayed up before you even hit the stage of performance venue. Remember the scripture where he says in that moment he will tell you what to say. And in a new thread, Goat Ears writes again in the Fellowship of Christian Magicians subform in a thread he entitled Should Christians Play with Face Cards? And it goes like this. I am a devout Christian and have grown up my whole life playing family games with playing cards. I have a great respect of card magic, but every time that I pull out a deck of cards, I get questions about face cards and their connection to tarot cards as well as gambling. In the past, I have used Disney-themed playing cards, which helps, but my question is how my fellow Christian magicians have dealt with magic cards in their professional shows. And Payne writes, Playing cards predate tarot cards by nearly a century. Neither standard playing cards nor the tarot were used in any form of divination until the 18th century. There is nothing occult or satanic in the creation or original symbology of the tarot. They are all drawn from archetypes common in the Middle Ages. While used for gambling at that time period, all games were. So if someone decries their use because of their association with gambling, they will have to forego playing checkers, tic-tac-toe, chess, and backgammon, as they too were all games whose outcomes were wagered on in the past. Playing cards are simply pieces of paper. They only possess whatever power one gives them. And Gospel Dan writes, Very true, pain. However, that may not always be enough to convince some that the cards themselves are innocent. I believe that Scripture gives the best answer to this question. Romans 14.13-23 says, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in... Jesus, this is so boring. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow... This doesn't... Okay, I don't... I'm not following this at all. Anyway, okay, not reading the rest of that. Kiff Anderson replies, Kiff Anderson replies, I have found that playing cards are great for gospel magic in certain venues, not so much in others. Like with any program, you need to see what your host would like. Certainly, the creative magic flashcards could be used. We in the Act Oz and Wild do a number of card effects, but have changed the cards from playing cards to Bible character cards, Bible verse cards, etc., to fit the routine and make the performance more acceptable. However, most people who have problems with playing cards are going to have as much or more issues with magic shows in general. You can have Robert Hill's Should a Christian Be Doing Magic essay memorized, but it may do you little good when they have very strong feelings. And Mark Locke writes, Okay, this may have been something I did during my rebellious years, but I'll share it. I was doing a show for a church, and they asked me not to use playing cards. I asked if I could make things disappear. They said yes. 
could I make objects vanish? They said yes. I asked if I could give life to an inanimate object like a handkerchief. They said yes. I asked if I could read minds, even attempt to control the minds of others. Once again, they said yes. So I asked, what's wrong with using playing cards in my act? They said that they were used in gambling and other unseemly practices. I asked if other cards could be used instead. They said yes. I showed them the tarot deck and asked if they were acceptable. They said yes. Legalism at its finest. And finally, Ezekiel writes, In Portugal, the problem is the sum. Just because of that, I've made special cards with our ministry logo on the back and blank in front. That's what I use inside the churches. If my work is outside, then I use a normal Svengali deck. I prefer not to be worried about that inside the church. Once because not only what you all already said, but also people here are very superstitious and use too much legalisms inside Christian churches. The some people who doesn't let me use playing cards inside the church don't mind if I use them in an outside evangelistic work. I can tell you that once a very good friend of mine and pastor were invited to make a special gospel work in a Sunday school. He is a magician and a ventriloquist. And after he used a puppet in the show, we was invited to never come back to that church because he was using a possessed toy. I have also had my problems with this ministry, but I prefer to look forward and see that I'm doing this work for God. Even so, I try not to scandalize anyone. Well, his problem was using the possessed toy. That's really, it's a uh, no-brainer, I, th I would think. And finally, from this subforum, uh, I will read something entitled Burning Bible by Glenn. And it goes like this. Any suggestions for some opening lines for the Burning Bible to begin a short sermon on the difference between magic tricks and God's true miracles aimed mostly at children? Thank you, Glenn. And apparently, the Burning Bible is a gag magic Bible that bursts in flames and then doesn't actually get damaged. And Stempleton writes, It's hot because it's the best-selling book of all time. As an aside, it's also the most shoplifted, another type of hot. Children know this little light of mine. Tie it in with the fire's light. Christ is the light of the world. You can use during stories about the burning bush, etc. Of course, when the time comes to speak about hell, dot, 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 or ellipsis if you prefer, and Matter Max writes, Man has tried to destroy the Bible for hundreds of years. They abandoned, denounced it, and even tried to burn it. Poof. But now you can see God's word remains undamaged. In fact, the Bible is indestructible because God said his word is eternal. Man cannot destroy God's word. You can go into more detail with several of the points mentioned. Gospel Dan writes, I'm going to preach today from the book of Revelations, opening book, second thought, closing book. That may be too hot of a topic right now. We'll get back to that later. I imagine the fire happened somewhere in the middle there. And String Slice writes, If I understand correctly, you desire to apply this effect with the message on tricks versus true miracles. This is challenging enough without adding the third requirement for being for children, but perhaps you can tweak the following to fit your purpose. One idea is to discuss how the devil often offers a counterfeit, a fake copy in kids' terms, with the real things that only God can offer. At this point, I'm more inclined to go with an effect such as an appearing cane to represent the snakes that Pharaoh's magicians produced in response to Moses' staff that turned into a snake, especially if you want to avoid doing fire for kids. This fits into your message should you prefer to stick to your burning bible effect how about discussing how the followers of baal could not summon down fire to consume their offering to that false god but the true god of the bible can really do miracles and even consumed the offering after it was drenched in water but now i'm thinking you could pour water in a cup and slush powder and resemble the water is poured on the offering and of course you pour it into the bible the water actually vanishes and you open your bible to burst of consuming flames the only god of the bible in the, is in the business of doing real 
Real Miracles. As I finish this up, another thought comes to mind. If I'm not mistaken, there's a passage in Revelations that it mentions trickery of one calling down fire from heaven so the men will be deceived. That is a boring. <laughs> and Pastor Clyde writes, I have a question for those using the Burning Bible. My wife and I are adding some pyrotechnics to our act, so I've been busy learning. I'm actually working on a bat fee license. Many of the stage effects are actually rated as high explosives. <laughs> I'm actually working on a bat fee license, since many of the stage effects are actually rated as high explosives. Anyway, in my studies I've learned that laws in many states and cities ban close proximity pyrotechnics without a permit and possibly a bat fee license. For an actor or magician, to use a lit cigarette is considered pyrotechnics. Obviously, we aren't using cigarettes and gospel magic, but the use of flash paper, cotton, string, etc. in some states is considered pyrotechnics and is outlawed. Finally, my question, has anyone run into problems using fire flash products in a church? I'm thinking of the multiplying torches, etc. As it stands, you aren't able to do these in Pennsylvania without a license. Anyone have any info on any other states? My goal is to save people problems. Clyde. And no one responds to that. But someone did say, in response to Stembleton's earlier posting, actually the most shoplifted book of all time is the Guinness Book of World Records. Just thought I would clear that up. Then, uh, or then Frank Russell writes, this is an old thread that was refreshed with a couple of posts, and I noticed the post about the best-selling and most shoplifted book of all time. I felt compelled to clear up for some reason. I can't believe I even know this. Actually, Blake Stempleton had it right. The Bible is, in fact, both the best-selling and most stolen book of all time. Imagine that. The best and the worst of both worlds. I imagine the King James Version in the hotels and church pews are in this record. The Guinness Book of World Record is the book that is most stolen from public libraries. They make this book so big that it would be hard to steal from a bookstore. Maybe Guinness has this record in their book. Where's my library card? <laughs> and... I will not read any more of these because a large portion of the rest of the, f the subform is people requesting prayers for their injuries and illnesses and sick children or trying to uh, shill conventions and um, magicians podcasts and things like that. And we'll step out of the Fellowship of Christian Magicians and step right into the Magic Cafe forums subform. The Good News subform, which is underneath the Fellowship of Christian Magicians subform, and the Good News subform is a subform about topics on the art of gospel magic. Now, these two things seem like the same thing to me, but uh, that's because I'm not a Christian magician. By the way, try saying Christian magician ten times fast. It's it's not easy. So we'll go in there and we'll look. And the first thread we'll read in the Good News subform is one by Mary Mauder, entitled Churches Which Find Magic Offensive. And it starts like this. I'm about to call the churches in my area to offer magic shows for the upcoming season. I don't wish to offend anyone or waste my time and theirs. Are there any churches you know of who are simply not interested in magic shows because of their beliefs? Thank you for your help, Mary Mauder. And Vlad77 writes, Hi Mary, I think I can be of assistance here. The Jehovah's Witness organizations forbid the watching and or doing of any magic of any kind. They firmly believe it is the work of infernal powers. Some fundamentalist Protestant denominations are also quite hostile towards magic. Some of these are rather small denominations, such as the Four Square Baptists and the Primitive Baptists. Mainline Protestant churches, such as the United Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, and the Church of the Brethren, are very welcoming to magic. As a former Roman Catholic who is a convert to Eastern Orthodox Christianity, I can tell you that Orthodox and Catholics are very welcoming of magic. 
not just gospel magic. Angelicans and Episcopalians are also magic friendly. Usually the more quote-unquote high church you go, the more friendly these churches will be towards magic. Non-denominationals, Christians of the Protestant tradition, who are not mainline, are a crapshoot. So you might want to be very clear when you speak to them. There is another long thread in which there is a discussion on mentalism. This is a very tricky area. So if you are doing mentalism, proceed with extreme caution. Faiths outside Christianity that are quote-unquote magic-friendly, in my experience, include Hinduism, Latter-day Saints, Judaism, and B when performing at a function. I don't know what that means. Especially if one for Orthodox Jews. Make sure that the rabbi instructs you on what you can and cannot be done. Certain holy days prohibit the activity of writing because it is considered work, so having a card signed, for instance, would be a major faux pas. As for conservative and reformed Judaic congregations, it is still advisable to speak to the rabbi. The Baha'i faith is also very magic-friendly. Unitarian Universalists love magic. I was one unofficially during my journey from... Christian West to Christian East. You will find in Unitarian Universalist congregations people of all faiths and even no faith. In the congregation I had attended, we had Christians, pagans, this would include Astru and other faiths, Wiccans, Buddhists, agnostics, and atheists. In fact, right about the time I began my inquiries into Eastern Orthodox Christianity, the new pastor of the UU congregation was an atheist. One last note of advice. Some churches are cool with you performing in the area where actual worship takes place. Some forbid it. Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholic Christians, Angelicans, Anglicans, uh, Angelicans, Anglicans, and Lutherans, rightly IMHO, forbid the performance of magic in the sanctuary. Again, when contacting places of worship, it is always best to consult the clergy person. As I close this message, I believe Muslims are cool with magic as well. Muhammad Ali was an avid amateur magician. An imam could assist you better, of course, concerning Islam's position on magic. If I may offer one final bit of guidance, always be clear that what you do as a magician is done by natural means. I hope this helps, Mary. Namaste, Vlad. And Cybercat writes, Usually, the more high church you go, the more friendly these churches will be towards magic. This is an odd thing to me. I had to learn about Extianity. In Judaism, generally the less traditional the liturgy, the more liberal the theology. The Extians is often the reverse. The most conservative and dogmatic congregations are the ones using the video walls and PowerPoint slide sets for their sermons. The ones that are high church and stick to very historic ways of doing things are often the most liberal about the meaning of what they do. And Jamie Doyle writes, here's my experience with contacting churches. Most of the time, it hasn't been an issue with whether or not they wouldn't have magic in their church or services, many times an issue with, are you part of our movement, whatever movement they may be? So your first question might be, who are you affiliated with? Or where do you go to church? Or are you part of the Greater Christian Alliance Hallelujah denomination? Be blessed, Jamie. And Terry Owens writes, Jamie is right on. Having worked in the past almost exclusively with churches, Pentecostal and the holiest type of churches for the most part, it's usually through recommendation of your ministry by another pastor or someone they trust. I know as a pastor, I don't want just anyone in front of my congregation. The flip side, if you're just wanting to provide entertainment for festivals or fundraisers for them, you may find them open. So you need to know your target audience. Are you wanting to present the gospel when you do the program, or are you just wanting to provide entertainment? When you know the answer to that question, that will help you in your next step. In my case, I'm an ordained bishop. In all my years of ministry, no church has asked me to entertain them with one of my shows, though I was doing upwards of 200 programs a year in churches, but it was all ministry-related. Most of the church circles I am with hardly ever bring in entertainment. They like the elements of my show and ministry combined together to create outreach events. And Robin DeWitt writes, 
But as a UU, I am quite sure that there was no proselytizing in the non-biblical version of creation. Further, what is so wrong with a minister who happens to be an atheist? I have known more moral atheists than Protestants or Catholic adherents. Plus, it seems better to live a moral life because one wants to instead of doing so, so one isn't condemned to hellfire for failure to do so. And Vlad77 writes, Robin, as an Eastern Orthodox Christian, I don't try to live a moral life to escape punishment. So your statement reflects a lack of understanding of ancient Christianity, as well as the idea that our true nature is not based upon the negative ranting of Calvinist doctrine, but that we were created to be greater than the angels. We are created in the image and likeness of God. We strive to live a moral life because that is our nature. In the end, though, Robin, it really comes down to this fact that atheists hate. It takes as much faith for an atheist to proclaim that there is no God as it does to be a believer to state that there is. Namaste, Vlad. P.S. This particular pastor of which I spoke devoted a sermon debunking creation, or I suppose you should say the fashionable phrase, intelligent design. The same UU minister and a large part of his congregation lost a large number of Wiccans because after a Sunday in which the Wiccans led a service, many who had proclaimed themselves UUs in the best sense of the term were persecutorial towards Wicca in the extreme. Perhaps I had the misfortune of being in a bad congregation, but even in the best of congregations, there are those who are simply immoral, and that goes for any faith. And Terry Owens finishes the thread by saying, Vlad, you got me so excited right now with the quote above. I type this with tears in my eyes. Finally, I found someone who understands it. This is a touching moment. And Punkstron12 writes in a thread he entitled, Wanting to Use Pendulums. I'm trying to be a better Christian nowadays in my life. I'm having some confusions, though, with some of the things I want to be interested in. I'm very interested in mentalism and want to practice pendulum work for entertainment purposes only. Will practicing with pendulums be a taboo? I used to always like metaphysics books, and this is just something I always thought was interesting. I want to know everyone's opinion on this. Will I be considered a hypocrite if I start using pendulums in my repertoire? Thank you all. And Magic Bus writes, Without hurting my brain too much, not much left of it anymore these days, I cannot envision how a pendulum could be used in a gospel magic routine or setting. It would be extremely difficult, I'd think, to say the least. And Ed Mills writes, since you didn't mention specifically using a pendulum in a to-the-church or gospel message show, I assume you meant working it into your normal working routines. In one sense, a pendulum, or mentalism in general, has nothing to do with your Christianity. These are objects and methods, nothing more. Learning methods to make mentalism entertaining or the muscle responses to make pendulum work is no different than learning to be a champion boxer or a handgun marksman. Hmm, that's okay. <laughs> but the real question needs to be asked the other way around. As Christians, we're supposed to live under a different authority. I do not make decisions based on whether it fits with my Christianity. My Christianity makes decisions for me based on what is compatible. My life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. Anything that might squirm in between me and him needs to be rejected. Anything that might capture a piece of my heart and win even a little bit of my love will make me spiritually adulterous. It's no different than allowing another woman to have a little bit of my affections. I am violating my marriage vows. It doesn't matter whether others see it or not. What's in my my heart is only between me and the one or one who shares my heart. Occult magic is all about power, power to manipulate, to win, to become great. Actually, all of what the Bible calls the world is about that be it economics, computers, magic, or quote-unquote magical entertainment. Anything then that wants to take my heart, or even just a little piece of it, down the road that leads to some kind of personal power and greatness of the world, and I will wind up in a precarious position of trying to love the world and love Jesus. As those two roads move farther apart, I will choose one or the other. 
Should you use a pendulum or learn mentalism? Where will it take your heart? Is it just about having a more interesting and varied repertoire of effects for your magic business so you can stretch into new markets and new creativity? Or is there something about the dark side that calls to you and makes you want to get as close as you can without actually swimming in it? It's not about your activities. It's about your heart. There are some who should never do mentalism because they're really living off the rush of pretending to have forbidden ESP powers. And some should never pick up a pendulum or do a haunted key routine because they want the audience to believe, even for that moment, that real magic was here. Personal power and greatness, quote-unquote, I'm that guy who can do that to you, rules their heart, not Jesus. For that matter, some should never get into gospel magic because they really only love being on stage and showing off and getting applause. The low seat has no appeal to them. Unfortunately, that's the end of the table where Jesus sits. And so their lips say things while following their heart takes them far, far away from him. If we're truly Christians, then we are Christians before we are magicians. And getting very real and personal with Jesus needs to rule all my life, including what kinds of magic I do. Or whether I drop the whole performing and entertaining gig altogether, that's up to him. Do I give him that authority? Do I listen to him? Or am I constantly seeking to see what else I can do? Ed. And Ed Mills adds again, Punkstrong12, have you asked your pastor, elders, or other mature Christians what they think? And ESP Magic writes, I would suggest that the issue here is about presentation. The pendulum is a tool in the same way that a thumb tip or a production bouquet is. You can easily present it as a demonstration of the ideomotor response, science-based, instead of using anything that implies a contradiction to your faith. Besides, I would think that who you are as a person and as a performer should not be affected by your choice of props or your choice of routining because you will choose to use the things that you are more comfortable with and not succumb to the pressures of anyone other than your religious leaders. Just an opinion from someone in a similar position. And back in black writes, Why don't you just pray for a miracle? She'd be more convincing for true believers than some tricks. And Brian Kelly writes, Are you mocking his faith? And Vlad77 writes, Back in black, simply put, there are miracles every second all around us. I am writing to a miracle right now. The miracle is you. So many people wait for the wait. <laughs> so many people wait for the repeat of the parting of the Red Seas. Yet all you need to do is breathe, hear, see, smell, touch. I do work as an educator for a nationally ranked zoo. I see miracles every day. Um, this is starting to sound like a insane clown posse song. I see these magnificent creatures that our God has created for whom we share this planet and have stewardship over. These animals bring joy to people. They bring wonder. Even for a brief time, people get a glimpse of Eden. In my Christian faith, we believe that animals are the last vestiges of Eden. Even in the lion's eyes, we see innocence. Secularly speaking, your post is problematic too. I offer respectively that you denigrate and demean a rare and beautiful art. Do you realize how few people ever get to experience professional caliber magic live? And guess what? The talent we possessed, a gift from the living God, is manifest in the miracle of bringing joy to others. But if you see what you do as mere tricks, then perhaps you are in the wrong profession or hobby. Finally, your comment about praying for miracles was in bad taste. While I myself do not do gospel magic, I applaud the efforts of those that do engage in it. And you know what? Perhaps, just perhaps, that gospel magician touched somebody's heart that day and perhaps led the person to a better way through the most powerful message of all. And that is the unconditional perfect love that is God. It may well be that you will never read this. It may well be that you will read this and offer the usual retort that you think will sting. The thing is, it doesn't sting at all. 
Thousands of people gave their very lives for the faith, and their example has taught me much. People I have never known gave their lives so that I can believe. That, too, is miraculous. If you are mocking, then you mock the people who have literally shown much greater courage than you or I will ever know. Read about the Catholic priest, Friar Maximilian Kolb known as the Saint of Auschwitz. This man gave his life in exchange that another man who had a family would be spared. Maximilian did a miracle that day, for no greater love hath man but that he lay down his life for another. Vlad. And Funsway writes, In reading your post, Vlad, something clicked within. I have always felt that by performing magic, I could arrest or awaken each spectator's sense of awe and wonder, making them more able to apraxiate the miracles all around them each day. If we pretend to do magic, then we must be more aware of the real magic we are emulating. Being a magician means that I must be more tuned in to God's gifts and givens, and each performance is a way of spreading the good news even if not quoting scripture. Then I look around our modern culture in which we have good reason to distrust our institutions, government, education, businesses, churches, and neighbors. Instead of appreciating miracles around us, we are driven to ask, what's the trick? What's the catch? Why is this too good to be true? Thus, there should be little surprise in finding that many magicians today only focus on the trick rather than the magic. Which came first, the performance of trickery or the loss of awe and wonder? Parents no longer read to their children, sharing the wondrous tales of mystery, magic, and enchantment. The youth of today have no sense of magic and have been cheated out of a healthy imagination. Everything they experience is vicarious and someone else's opinion of what is real and important. They may know that what they see is an illusion and trickery, but have no capacity for experiencing life in any other way. I deliberately dismal view of things. Okay. To the extent that any magician feels this might be true, they should strive to bring magic rather than trickery into the lives of their spectators. Rather than being purveyors of illusion, magicians may be the most real thing a specter... <laughs> okay. Rather than being purveyors of illusion, magicians may be the most real thing a spectator may ever experience. Another way of laying down your life for another. And finally, in this whole podcast, Vlad77 writes, Funsway, wow, what an eloquent post. Kids are losing their sense of wonder, and sadly, adults beset with the realities of getting food on the table in the face of tough economic conditions are losing sight of miracles, too. I know it happens to me a lot, as I am pursuing a possible doctorate while trying to restart my magic career after a divorce a year and a half ago. You touched upon something very important as well when you mentioned that parents don't read to their kids anymore. That makes me sad. To me, at least... One of the most magical places to be is in a book. Think of The Lord of the Rings or T.H. White's classic Arthurian, The Once and Future King. These books are complete worlds in which anything is possible, and each book teaches valuable lessons. In fact, Tolkien called The Lord of the Rings his great Catholic work, unconsciously in the telling and consciously in the rewriting. In the Orthodox Church I had belonged back to in Pennsylvania, our priest devoted a summer study to the Lord of the Rings and its proper Christian perspective. And you mentioned imagination, too. Kids are bombarded with television, Xbox, and PS3. The imagination is not engaged. Everything is visual, rapid, and the work is done for them. I love computer games, and I do play some seriously wild and beautiful ones like Dragon Age and Darksiders, but these games are enjoyable to me because I still do have a keen sense of wonder. I guess it's an age thing. Wink emoticon. It is why when I watch a magician, I never ever watch for method. I distance myself from the magician in me and watch as a non-magician. I love the sense of being profoundly annihilated by a well-performed effect. For that brief time, all the cares in the world have vanished thanks to the God-given talent of that magician. Smiley face emoticon. Man, I remember working as a demonstrator when the mother of all book tests was released. One of the other demonstrators in the shop was heavily into mentalism and performed this for me. 
Wow, I was floored and had this silly grin from the joyous sense of wonder and complete mystification. In fact, even though I was a demonstrator, I still got healthy discounts from anything we sold. I never bought that effect because I did not want to know how it was being done. To this very day, I still don't know and I do not want to know. Smiley face emoticon. I want to keep that memory of being floored forever. I think as magicians, we should do ourselves a great service by watching magic, not for the method, but just to be entertained. Doing so reminds us of the wonder we create for our audiences. I will fire up YouTube and just watch the greats perform. I am unashamedly still a child and have no plans of changing that. I know it sounds silly, but I still get a kick out of watching my cats bat soap bubbles. Smiley face emoticon. I also love Hot Wheels and Matchbox cards too. And the greatest magic? The magnificent universe our Lord has created. To lie quietly under the vault of the heavens and just being, if you do it just right, and there is nothing in your peripheral vision, you can lie there and in a very wondrous way. You will feel as though you are among the stars. Where a loving God, it seems, splashed a cosmic paintbrush for us in unconditional love. Smiley face emoticon. However, I need to close this post now as one of my miracle cats is trashing my kitchen. Tongue sticking out emoticon! Namaste, Vlad. Okay, that's gonna do it for the Magic Cafe subforum Christian magicians stuff. It's amazing how people get so wrapped up in the religion thing. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know. Seems kind of absurd, but now I don't want you to take this podcast to be any sort of statement of me dismissing magicians or Catholic magicians or religious magicians. No, well, I mean, I think magic is interesting enough without adding a religion element to it. I don't want you to think that I'm anti-magician. I'm not. Hey, magic is cool, sadly. My fingers are so stumpy. They're like little Vienna sausages. Uh, I can't do any magic with them. Most of the time, the magic is if when I show people my hands, if they can stop themselves from vomiting. Because they're so small and stubby. (laughs) Why? That's my proof that there is no God. Because he gave me sausage fingers. Okay. (laughs) That's not true. My hands work. They're perfectly normal. Surely a miracle. So thank you for sitting through this uh, Magic Forums podcast, the Magic Cafe Forums podcast. I want to thank all the people who have been sending me great suggestions. There have been lots of good things coming up. Someone sent me something about uh, how to keep your vagina clean with a piece of parsley or from smelling. I will most likely be reading that sometime in the future. I found a good forum by um, looking up the phrase vagina punching. You know, there's, there's so many great ways to find forums. So please feel free to send me more ideas for forums. Certainly I don't have time to serve them. No, I do. I do. I have too much time. I, I waste all my time on the internet. And not only for you. I could say, and I do it all for you. But it's really just, uh, I have uh, bad uh, time management skills. So I'm just being straight up with you guys. Thanks again for listening. And uh, thanks for all the people who uh, keep friending the, sh- the podcast on Facebook and also, um, you know, I, I was boring at this stage for me to keep asking you to uh, log into your iTunes account, which is free. You don't have to buy anything. You just have to go there and write a review of the podcast because, and a positive one, not a not a one about how you really feel about it. If you don't like it, you know, it's okay to lie. <laughs> iTunes doesn't know, but they do apparently know if you write dirty things in the in the uh, reviews because they don't post us. So um, <sighs> this world, I tell you. Oh, and. Uh, Hey, if any of you people are going to, to the uh, Rally for Sanity at the end of October, let me know if you're going, because I'm going all the way from New York to D.C. It's going to be a good time, I think. 
There's a couple of people out there who I sent magnets to who did not send me photos of where the magnets ended up. So I'm not trying to guilt you into doing it or anything, but uh, the rest of those photos are looking kind of lonely. I mean, doesn't hurt to send me a picture from your camera phone. You can strip out all the EXIF information if you, uh, you don't me- want me to pinpoint where you were. Anyway, thanks again for listening to Lou Reads the Magic Cafe Forums for you. My name's Lou, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.